0: Hello, welcome to a bonus episode of Full Time with Meg Linehan. You are listening to a show all about women's soccer. Today is about women's football on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am Meg, your host, and I'm a national staff writer at The Athletic Covering, the NWCEL, and the U.S. Women's National Team. And we have had some major, major news sweeping across the world of football. And today I am going to be rolling with that term for the rest of the episode for simplicity's sake, but also Please know I am not here for soccer versus football debate, and both are perfectly fine. If you tweet me about it, mm, good luck. Anyway, with the announcement of the formation of a breakaway European Super League on Sunday night, Kiva O'Neill, a staff writer at The Athletic covering Liverpool, joins me for this bonus episode to discuss what this means for the women's game and what we can make out of the very little we have heard so far about their plans for this potential hypothetical women's league. All right, as always, before we get started, your reminder that you can support the podcast and get all of the NWL U.S. Women's National Team coverage at The Athletic, plus everything else we have to offer with the site and app, including all of the extensive coverage of the Super League news from Kiva and the folks in the U.K. by signing up for a new subscription at theathletic.com slash full-time. Okay, so before we get into this discussion... I do want to give you a quick summary of what we know so far about the European Super League. And this is the extremely quick version. If you want to do some additional reading first, I have linked all of the athletics coverage in the episode description. There's also a very intro level TIFO video that I highly recommend. I watched that to make sure that I (laughs) had everything right in my brain. There are six teams from the Premier League. So Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester City, Manchester United, and Tottenham. Three from Italy, that's Juventus, AC Milan, and Inter Milan, and three from Spain, Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Atletico Madrid, who have all committed so far to this breakaway league. Now, in theory, they are expecting another three teams in for sure, and then another five would qualify into this league as well for a total of 20 teams but the 15 founding teams would always be a part of the Super League. That might sound familiar to American fans, as it is essentially the system that we are used to, for the most part. It is a closed system. In their release, a lot of words about why they are breaking away from UEFA competitions, but these reasons also included, quote, higher quality matches and, quote, additional financial resources for the overall football pyramid. But also, these teams have started to build a relationship with J.P. Morgan to finance this, so there needs to be some major context around the overall role of capitalism here, our favorite thing <laughs> on this podcast. If you want some good takes on that particular angle, though, I highly suggest another athletic writer, Carl Anka, as I have just been following along and liking pretty much every single one of his tweets. Highly recommend. But basically, every actual league, UEFA, FIFA, et etc., 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 are not fans of this plan at all. Okay, finally, you might be asking yourself, but where are the women in all of this? And here, I must inform you that they are, of course, completely unsurprisingly, an afterthought. Here is the exactly one sentence from the Super League statement that concerns women's football. Quote, as soon as practicable after the start of the men's competition, a corresponding women's league will also be launched, helping to advance and develop the women's game. End quote. That just fills you to the brim with confidence, doesn't it? Alright, so by Tuesday, Nadine Kessler, who now serves as UEFA Chief of Women's Football, had put out a pretty strong statement in defense of Women's Champions League, saying... Quote, this news comes without any consultation and at the time where the UEFA Women's Champions League is about to see a transformative change as of next summer. In other words, it is a direct threat to all of the plans we have carefully crafted together with the ECA, your clubs and the leagues for the new UEFA Women's Champions League. Now, there's a lot more too from this statement. I I do want to read a little bit because I think it is very important context. Um, So here's. I'm going to kind of skim through a couple of paragraphs to just know there is some stuff that I'm skipping over that I don't view as quite as important. But here we go. Why does this impact the women's game? Women's football, its professionalization and development are still in the early stages. Only a small proportion of players, unfortunately, have full-time professions and guaranteed access to top-class facilities. While there have been momentous strides in the game, we need more clubs, federations, and governing bodies investing to provide professional structures for more players to benefit from. And we do not only need more clubs, but a better balance between those clubs so that more than just a few standout players can thrive on it. These clubs need to have the ambition of being part of the top of European women's club football, the UEFA Women's Champions League. With a closed European women's Super League, this is not possible. Okay, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Here's another interesting part. We always talk about stronger ties between men's and women's football, about increased solidarity. Now it's the time to show solidarity. This current entire football ecosystem funds everything from grassroots to elite, including women's football, vital funding streams that these parts of the game, our game, depend on. So, that's where we stand as of Tuesday afternoon in Europe, first thing Tuesday morning in the States. So, with the groundwork set on the Super League, again, the quick version of that groundwork I tried, here's Kiva O'Neill to help us make sense of what we know so far, which, again, is not a lot. So <laughs> it has been a very eventful day and a half now, I think, for you. But just let's start with we've got 27 words that we are in theory working from. That's, that's what we are working with from an official capacity when it comes to women's football with this. And they do not say really anything uh, about what they are planning in all. So how do we work with the little bit that we have with what the European Super League is promising when practically <laughs> practically available or whatever they're saying? How do we work with this?
1: I mean, the promises, there are no promises, I guess, when it comes to women's football. You know, over the past 24 hours, even the past couple of days, I've probably been able to sort of memorise that 27-word because it's that short. And the more you look at it, you're kind of like hoping it'll open up and some plan or plot will be there. Um, but there's literally nothing in terms of for women's football, there's there's nothing to take from that. Um, you know, everyone I've spoken to, that's, you know, WSL managers, championship players, people couldn't speak about it because they didn't know anything. So no one was prepared to make a comment because, you know, they found out in the same way we did. And that was last minute, checking the phone, you know, getting notifications from hopefully our app, <laughs> and not anyone else's. But, you know, that kind of last minute, like, way to find out things. And I think, you know, we think the likes of, you know, Jürgen Klopp said he only found out about it on Sunday. You know, it was probably even later for, for women's, you know, football managers, players and our agents. None of them really had a clue about what was going on. Um, so I think, you know, a lot of people have said, well, maybe we can kind of, you know, look at like, you know, the what they have said for the, the men's team and then make teams. And then maybe we can kind of, you know, assume the, that's what the, is going to be on offer for the women's, but I think it's right to probably assume that that isn't the case. Um, and you know, it's, it's been met with such widespread condemnation, and rightly so, because it's—I mean, it's horrific, really—and it's being viewed that way, you know, as a almost something that could could kill the game that we that we all love.
0: Right. At first, before we get into like the actual meat of what is was being discussed right at the moment, I do want to just bring up a point of. How confusing is it for you because we are talking about this European Super League in theory, and then we already have (laughs) women's Super League. So I feel like even for for those of us trying to like talk about it, we're just like, this is already so deeply confusing, especially when you are trying to frame it in the discussion of women's football.
1: Yeah, and I think that's like almost just another thing where they've just overlooked, you know, even like. I mean, that logo was not the best, was it, if you've had all this time to come up with it. But to come up with that, you know, especially it just feels like more of an afterthought The te- 10 years ago. So last week, we were celebrating the 10-year anniversary of the, the Women's Super League. And, you know, there were so many great stories last week and it was really enjoyable time for women's football coverage, I found. And then for this week, for it to be like, you know, European Super League. And honestly, I got, I was kept you know writing me pieces today and I was getting confused myself of you know super league women super league how do we make sure that people aren't <laughs> like maybe we should like highlight them or something and keep them you know separated because it is that confusing but I think that just adds to you know what we're talking about here and that is that sort of women's football wasn't thought about and hasn't been thought about when any of these plans are drawn up. It it kind of feels like someone's gone at the last minute oh, do you know what, we should We should probably have the line on the women because they're going to kick up a fuss if we don't. And that's exactly what it feels like.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, so one of the, the big things on your story is that, okay, let's look at this list of clubs that we are working with, at least on the men's side. Again, we do not necessarily have any sort of guarantee that this is going to if a women's league happens, that these teams are going to be exactly the same. But it is, you know, Real Madrid started their women's team in 2020, Juventus in 2017, Manchester United 2018. And then we have Liverpool, which we could spend an entire podcast series about in terms of their approach to their women's team. But how, I mean, I I think the answer is we can't. But like, are we supposed to believe that these are the clubs that have the expertise and the drive to, as they say, you know, promote the growth of women's football. Because right at the moment, I think from where we're all standing, we're like, really? This is what you want to go with?
1: Yeah, and I think the answer to that in short is no. Um, you know, you look across the board and just think, you know, there were there were women of women fans, female fans of those clubs, and you know, all fans of those clubs for a long time saying, you know we we need a women's team and you know they were banging that drum for such a long time and they, they, you know these these um clubs finally succumbed to that. And um, you know, Real Madrid, one of the biggest clubs in the world, they didn't have a women's team till last year. That is just madness that's that's crazy. like and then obviously the same for Man United, you know and Juventus like these are massive gigantic superpowers in in world football. And we didn't have a women's team. That's just, I mean, I don't know how we just don't spend all of our time just pondering over that. But look, these teams are here now and that's a positive. And, you know, they're all thriving. And Man United have been a great introduction into the WSL season. And, you know, I think you kind of then look across the board. You've mentioned Liverpool and how FSG have sort of overlooked the women's team. You know, I think people are are fairly, you know, knowledgeable in in terms of, of that and what's gone on there. Um, but then you kind of look at, like, Arsenal, who for a long time were, you know, a club who did back the women's team. You know, their their women's team used to be... When I was growing up, it was Everton and Arsenal in England. They were the, the big the big guns in, in women's football. And um, But then even stories last week, sort of, and then KBY had done a piece on, you know, just some sorts of situations there, which doesn't look too good, and how, you know, training times and different things like that. So, you know, it does it just keeps coming back to this feeling that, you know, how can how can these owners who haven't really shown a great support for women's football now be, you know, the best? how can they sort of, you know, welcome women's football into this, you know, Super League when really they haven't really welcomed women's football into their own sort of, they haven't done enough, have they? And I think that's, that's the sort of main point you, you just sort of keep coming back to yeah. is how, how women's football is—it's not being thought of, is it really?
0: No, no. And what I what I have found interesting too is, you know, as all of this news is breaking for us, it was earlier on Sunday than it was for you, for sure. So I think we did kind of get like this whole extra couple of hours of discussion <laughs> in our part of the world. But there was kind of the sense of we're gonna we're gonna go off of these 27 words as some sort of promise. And then what I found really interesting was there there seemed to be kind of this pushback on Monday where people are like, Well they made the prom like they said that they're gonna do it, right? And there was kind of this interesting back and forth, like I saw a couple of players, especially American, Canadian, former players, current players, being like, We need more investment in the women's game. And then in addition to all the sexist stuff that you expect that to <laughs> to, you know, stir up, there was kind of this like weird pushback that I saw of like, well they they promised. They promised that they would do this, and it's just kind of like, do, do we trust them? Because so far, I just I, I think that this is a conversation that we have a lot in the States in terms of who is kind of the, the people pulling the strings behind women's football, and they are very frequently men, and do they fundamentally have the best interest of women's football at heart, or do they have their pockets as the number one driver? And that's kind of the bigger conversation that I think we are now going through right at the moment with this.
1: Yeah. And I think when you look at sort of individual examples of that, obviously I'm a Liverpool reporter, so I've got my eye more firmly placed on on Liverpool than anywhere else. And, you know, I think I've, I've already mentioned it, but the, the lack of, well, the underfunding of, of the women's team and what's gone on there when the men's team have prospered massively, you know, the trophies they've won in recent years. And that hasn't always been, you know, an easy just, they've been going out and buying all the best players and spending millions and millions. They have done that, but it's taken a time, you know, those quiet summers where Liverpool fans got told, club aren't doing anything this summer, you'll just have to wait till next summer. And, you know, they would sort of, that was FSG's you know, approach, sort of balancing, you know, funds and, you know, net spend, all that sort of stuff. But when it's come to the women's team, there doesn't seem to be that same level of, Commitment, even you know, when when fans probably uh, want want FSG to do more in terms of the, the women's side of the game, They haven't been able to sort of step up and show that. And it, it feels quite easy that that would be just so easy, something easy to do. But the, I think the key thing is that it's it's not making the same amount of money as the men's team. So why would they want to put money into something that they're going to probably? You know, you you put money into the women's team, you're probably not getting a lot back for it. Although we are seeing, you know, the recent T V deal, things like that. I think I saw a report which said women's football, women's sports will bring in earnings of up to a billion in so many years. You know, it's getting there and you know, the game is being monetized in that way, but I think it's not quick enough and it's not enough in terms of actual cash flow that you know, in terms of crowds and things like that. But just give it a chance, you know, give it give it the funding and, and watch it grow because over the, the past few years, particularly from the, the point of the last Women's World Cup, the women's game, especially in England, is just, it's gone crazy, you know. Mm-hmm. The women have been playing, they time had time in, at Anfield and, you know, other stadiums and that's felt like, you know, we're getting there, we're finally getting there. And, you know, when you think football was banned for 50 years, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's... That's crazy. There's a lot of catching up to do, so let's give the support and the funding that women's football needs to keep on growing because, you know, it is getting bigger and it's only going to get bigger, but it needs support there. It needs that net to support it and it, it hasn't been getting that. You know, yeah. there are teams that are doing a lot more. You, the, you know, Chelsea and Man City are, are both a part of the six um, English clubs who've signed up to the Super League. You know, they've they've been, you know, really funding their women's teams and, you know, that's, the success that they've had in the, in the past few seasons have shown that and um, you know they're battling out, it out at the top of the WSL and I think that just shows what you can achieve when you do put the money into it and you know I don't know the thought that just always crosses my mind is just why isn't it happening and I think sometimes it does feel like almost these owners are looking at women's football as like some kind of like charity cases so if you put money in they're not getting money out and that's morally just
0: Wrong. Yeah, we we could go for probably an hour <laughs> on on just the finer points of a business case for women's football. But we will we will turn. I do want to try to put this in the context of what we also know about Champions League, because we are kind of in the last, you know, we're at the semifinal stage of this current tournament. And there have been these kind of long awaited changes to the tournament that are going to start with the next season of Champions League and that includes bundled television rights, like all of the kind of stuff that you would expect that will make it both more professional but also more attractive to viewers. Like just kind of wholesale changes to the tournament to try to make it make the next leap. There are also these promises now of regulatory changes for further professionalization of the women's game out of UEFA. Again, in your story you point out like this is this is a lot more than the twenty seven words that the Super League has given us to work with. So in terms of trying to um figure out where the actual the landscape is a lot different on the women's side, I'll put it that way. So like where should we kind of be looking to see the two potential options before us?
1: I mean I think those those changes to the Champions League of being widely viewed as as positive and welcomed, you know, one um, WSL manager who, who spoke to us anonymously for that story um, you know, said how excited they were about it, even though their team, you know, is, is likely not going to be playing in the Champions League. I think it, it kind of showed from UEFA that there was, you know, they are at least trying to do something and, and change it up and, you know, but then at the same time, it felt like um, the president, and he spoke, at length yesterday you know he, he called out all these six clubs and you know this was as the press release had sort of outlined what the changes for the men in the Women's Champions League in the upcoming seasons was going to be about um, but he, you know his, his hour long rant didn't didn't touch upon women's football it wasn't mentioned you know and it's kind of like you know I saw a, a big post from the Chief of Football there Nadine Kessler the, this morning and you know it was important that the women's football and football supporters had that from here, but it just feels like still, you know, we're kind of waiting and waiting for more people to stand up and say, well, you know, this is what's going to happen. And it feels like we're so focused on the men's side of things that we're just getting left behind a lot. And, you know, I think in that even press release from UEFA, it said, I'm, you know, we'll announce more things next week, you know, as though like, they couldn't just tell us all now. It was like, we'll just sort yeah, we'll 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 announce them at another date. You know what we're right. the the whole plans were, and that just again felt like, you know, just coming back to the word afterthought, which I think I've probably said about a thousand times. Sorry about that, but <laughs> it just you know it kind of plays into that, and I think that's you know where we're at right mm-hmm. now. And FIFA, UEFA, they're not even they're calling it out, but the. Know they're not even calling out in terms of saying, you know, we need to stand up for the women's game as well, which is why I loved Lewis Figo, you know, legend of the game. He was one of the first to speak out and mention women's football specifically in regards to the Super League. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I'm hoping that more more people will and do as the conversation starts to sort of rumble on. I was just on a, a call then with um Labour Party leader Keir Starmer and. You know, he, he was mentioning the, the women's game and um you know that was brought up by a lot of passionate fans and and you know his response was you know we're not forgetting about that either. Um which you know I thought was was promising, but it's still just a worrying time for football and right. in particular I think women's football because it's not getting the sort of coverage that you know it really needs to be because it's probably more worrying in terms of women's football, because this, you know, it could destroy football, you know, but, you know, it could undo all the good work that's been done in recent seasons.
0: Yeah. I, the other part of this too, like, you know, we have heard a lot from UEFA, we've heard something from FIFA, though the FIFA statement kind of was, I think, a little bit watered down from what people were expecting, but just, you know, we've kind of heard this threat of okay, well, men's players won't be able to play in international competitions, right? Like, there's no World Cup on the table if they go off and play in this league, and we have no corresponding... Like, the strongest part has really been Nadine Kessler and her statement from Tuesday saying this is a, a distinct threat to the state of women's football, but there's no... Like, if, it obviously feels wrong <laughs> to punish women's players because there is so much less power Um in terms of where they might land and, and all of this kind of stuff, but just in terms of potential pushback for clubs that potentially could change the face of, of women's football as we know it. Like, there's no real sense of consequences being on the table for potentially essentially blowing up the women's game as we know it, but there's a lot of potential consequences on the table for simply starting a men's league, right?
1: Yeah, definitely, and I think you know that's another thing that hasn't really been spoken about because it's all sort of UEFA and FIFA threatening um, those clubs with sanctions and and different things, and you know you you can't the players won't be able to go to the Euros, to the World Cup, but there hasn't been that kind of threat on on women's football because there hasn't been enough promised from them on women's football. So it's this kind of like crazy little world we're living in now, when not enough has been said that no one's able to sort of stand up and and defend women's football in a way which is like the sort of parallel universe when we're all sort of hanging around and um i think it's probably almost a good thing that those threats i guess aren't being made um just because i suppose they'd be they'd be i mean negative the women the in a way i mean sort of like you know every sort of person involved in in women's football in england you know the people i've chatted to they don't want any part in this so I suppose being left out of the conversation is on one hand ridiculous but then in the same way it's like you just crack on over there leave (laughs) us out of it like we were doing fine please just leave us alone and I feel like that's the thing and you know you know there are clubs like who will be thinking well you know we we didn't even get sort of thought of in in the conversation that gets to you lay on you know one the Champions League five uh, times in a row, they obviously won't be winning this season because they've been knocked out now by PSG. But, you know, it's it's those, those clubs that haven't even been thought of as well, yeah. which is crazy. It's like, yeah. you know, if you're going to bring this big plan to sort of absolutely destroy football, then at least think about people. But again, you know, it's kind of probably a good thing that they haven't because it's just like, keep away from us, we want nothing Right, to do. it
0: actually, like, sometimes it, it benefits to be an afterthought when they're not actually, yeah. like, intentionally trying to undo the little progress that has been made. It's like, oh, okay, we can actually maybe just use an invisibility cloak to stay over here and mind our business, and you can do your thing over there. It is, I mean, it's just, it feels kind of patently absurd right moment we're
1: in such a just a weird place right now do you feel like we're in just sort of
0: it's it's very strange to watch it from like a distance too where obviously like you know we are used to close like again fundamentally i think there is such an american influence working here and so like a i think a lot of us are like oh no we did it um but then also just knowing fundamentally like this is this is such a problem and, and that it is, you know, I think a lot about, I've been, I, I follow Carl Anka. Um, I think he has been really on fire on Twitter in terms of all of his takes, especially when it is about capitalism and how this is interacting with the plans for the super league. But I think he also had this really interesting point where he said, detachment isn't wisdom, right? Like it's really easy to look at this and be really cynical and say like, Oh, this has been coming for us. I think it's even easier to say like, I mean, that was my initial reaction, like, of course, of course, women's football is an afterthought to them, because they've never thought about it once in their lives. And they would realized, oh, God, we got to throw this in before we get yelled at, right? And I think it is really hard to not be cynical, but also to still say, okay, we need to discuss this seriously and think about ramifications and all this kind of stuff. So I mean, my question for you is like, how are you navigating this mood just as covering kind of both sides of the game? having this kind of sense of like watching the world kind of get blown up around you
1: I mean it is a weird one isn't it I just have to add the call is always on fire on twitter he's I think (laughs) my favorite
0: tweeter is that a
1: thing he's brilliant and you know he's kind of summed up that mood as you say and it is kind of weird sort of you know being um on the sort of just the, the Liverpool side of things, obviously that's where my focus is. And then I've done my piece on, on the women's game and sort of the ramifications there. But you know, it's interesting just even just looking at Liverpool, like I've mentioned, because obviously it's sort of a suggestion that Liverpool would be the poor women would be sort of you know, parachuted in from the championship to the Super League. And you know, that'd be wrong, wouldn't it? Completely. And you know, I just think as as someone from a city which is just founded on socialism from a club that, you know, traditionally, you, you've just got to look at the quotes that are have come out in recent days, the old quotes from Shankly and the likes. And, you know, they sort of convey where we're at. Jürgen Klopp has always conveyed Liverpool fans, you know, and I feel like the way fans have been thought of in, in recent days has been, I think that's been my main concern is just how they've been overlooked. And I think that phrase that come out of, of legacy supporters which basically means you know those sort of living local and who've, who've sort of you know grown up supporting the team locally are like they're not the ones they're going after it. they're opening it up to this big market and if you kind of look already that, that big market's already there Liverpool have got amazing fans all over the world and that's what makes the club so great as with other clubs and you know I just think that it's I don't know it's just it's making me really sad to be honest I think everyone feels sad about it just how you know just everything about it you, you can keep on talking about it but it's just it's just like if I think fans feel helpless at the minute and I think that's what the saddest thing is about it it feels like what can we actually do you know how mm-hmm. can we stop this because it's it's just that ownership level and that's it and it's putting a bad name on all of the clubs involved and you know those fans are there to say, well, actually, that's not us, and I think that's why Jagan Clock pointed out. You know, it's it's not the players or the managers, and it's you know it's ownership, and all these things have have happened behind closed doors and secret talks and meetings, and I feel like it's just sort of a, I don't know, a, a depressing sort of landscape to navigate now, isn't it? Really, in between, yeah. you know, the two the two sort of you know the women's side and, and the men's side as well, but just as a whole, and. Um, I think it's sort of like you kind of worry about when these conversations start to sort of die down a little bit and then, you know, whether they will kind of slowly get away with it because surely they would have read, in, read the room a little bit and thought, well, actually, we're going to receive all this criticism. I've, I've not spoken to anyone who thinks it's a good idea. I've, I've not heard of anyone who thinks it's a good idea. You know, everyone is is completely together that it's not a good idea. So why do they think that they, they can get away with it. And I think that's kind of what's most shocking yeah. um, to everyone. It's just the, the kind of arrogance and, you know, I just think that they're not, they're not reading it. They don't understand. And I think that's the upsetting sort of thing here is that these people who are running, you know, some of the most traditional football clubs in the world don't really have a clue, at a, you know, at grassroots level, how it's feeling and, you know, what, the, the negative impact this will have on the game
0: yeah all right well on that note <laughs> I, I get like i i super agree with you i think my last question for you is what should we be looking for next just in, especially in terms of the women's game like obviously nathan kessler with this statement we know in theory something more is coming from uefa in this kind of nebulous we'll have more details soon right that sort of thing but is there something else that we should really be looking for in terms of developments? Maybe, you know, Ada Hegerberg has obviously been one of the more vocal people to speak out. It seems Leon is probably going to feel pretty free to, to make some comments about this from the safe distance of France where they can just kind of lob things at them. But, you know, what's, what's next in your mind?
1: I think it needs to be players. It does. I think, you know, as much as we can't expect, Players, particularly in the women's game, don't earn you know enough money anyway to sort of go on strike. So it's not up to them. I think it's got to come now from probably you know your leaders of of teams, your captains, um, uh, on the men's side of things. And the women, obviously, you've got to support that as well. And I think they probably will. Um, in terms of, I think just them calling it out and saying, you know, we don't want to play for a club that will be involved in this. You know, you're already seeing teams across the Premier League calling it out. And I'm sure, you know, that that'll that'll continue to happen. Um, And I think one of the things which has given me a little bit of hope is being on that meeting with um, Keir Starmer was the, um, there is already a bill currently like on the table sort of thing in Parliament. And, you know, that legislation is sort of being looked at as maybe the key. The only thing is, Parliament go into recess next week, so they need to kind of rush it through. And you know, he was saying the government have the power to get it through and get it through quite quickly, and they need to do that. And I think then we're not then looking at UEFA and FIFA, although these sanctions I think will deter players and you know hopefully you know inspire them to speak out against mm-hmm. it. But I think we've got to look at you know UK laws. We've got to look at laws here that will that will deter them, that will sanction the clubs, the. You know are potentially looking to break away and um, well, they are because they've said they are and um, so I think that's sort of where my hope personally is coming from that you know all parties everyone is everyone's come together you know it doesn't matter where you're from or who you are everyone is is against the the super league so I think you know we've just got to keep that we've got to keep bang on the drum and hopefully you know the um this will turn into something where it it just sort of goes away and i think, Hopefully, you know, it's gotta be as well. You know, you're sort of hearing things on Twitter that the that one of the clubs um at Premier League level is sort of already sort of, you know, thinking about dropping out. And I think maybe it just takes one sort of team to go, we don't wanna do this anymore. Yeah.
0: Like, yeah, actually, this was a terrible idea. idea. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. Sorry about that, everyone. Can we just all forget about it? And then hopefully looking years time, we'll laugh about this time and go, oh, wasn't that a crazy time? Um I'm praying that we do that because if not, I mean, you know, watching Liverpool play Leeds last night was the most boring game of football I've watched. It just felt soulless because I don't know, it just felt like all this on the table is kind of weighing everyone down. And I think, you know, there are options and there are ways we can get through. And I think, you know, all is not lost, even though it did feel lost at some point. There's, There's things happening now and there's conversations being had, you know, all over and, think that's important but i do think the players um have to now stand stand up and and speak out against us and i think they will it'll sort of be like once one does it it'll just that'll be a little catch fire that's the hope isn't it yeah yeah
0: all right why don't you tell folks where they can follow you on twitter maybe um obviously your work is on the athletic (laughs) um so that is easy enough but where where else can people look for your work
1: um, yeah Twitter I guess is the the main port of call but obviously with my name being Irish it's pretty tricky to spell so I'm sure there'll be some kind of like you know look for my name but key the sports is my handle so yeah you can find me there and sometimes occasionally on Instagram if I can be bothered to uh, going on there.
0: <laughs> Alright well I super appreciate the time. Um, thank you for navigating the time difference with me and thank you for filling us all in on on basically just the mess that we are watching over here and going okay (laughs) all right we yeah yeah this is kind of on us i guess um i super appreciate it and and thank you again for joining the pod oh thanks for
1: having me it's been a pleasure
0: all right thank you to kiva for the time again be sure to check out her new article at the athletic on this with Phil Buckingham, and I'm, I'm pretty sure, again, this is only the beginning of what promises to be a very heated discussion on the future of the game. For everything full-time, visit fulltimepod.com. The show is available on Apple, Spotify, and if you subscribe to The Athletic, you can listen ad-free to all of our shows. If you are enjoying the show, please let us know by leaving a rating or a review, and these make a huge difference, and I read every single review. I will be back with you on Thursday for our usual weekly episode. Kaylin Kyle will be on the show to discuss the NWSL Challenge Cup, Champions League, and plenty more. My name is Meg Linehan, and you've been listening to Full Time with Meg Linehan. You can always find me on Twitter and Instagram at It's Meg Linehan and my work at The Athletic. Full Time, of course, does not exist without the work and support of senior podcast producer Michael Zimmerman. From The Athletic, I'm Meg Linehan, and thank you for listening.